0: Portobello Radio. Radio,
1: calling
0: out calling across, out London, across London, London and the rest, and the rest of the, from the world from the heart of Flatbrook Grove. Grove. Grove.
1: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Portobello Radio's uh, collaboration with the Pavilion Hive. Um, you've heard some of these podcasts over the course of the last couple of months as part of the virtual Portobello Pavilion. And part of that has been a collaboration with our North Sea neighbours. At a time of restricted travel and pervading uncertainty, a virtual ship of ideas has traversed the North Sea. So, with the help of the Embassy of the Netherlands in London, members of the Porto Pavilion, which, as most of you know, is the Diverse Arts Collective based in North Kent, we crossed the North Sea and we joined, I was going to say, cross swords, but we discussed ideas and concerns with like-minded artists on, on the radio. And... Um, You've probably heard many of them and you'll be delighted to hear that after this show finishes, uh, all six that we've had will go on air. Anyway, continuing this conversation, we are meeting tonight with a group of graduating artistic researchers from Ponce School of Fine and Performing Arts in Tilburg and they are going to talk to us about their new research publication. So with us today, we have... Mary Carmen Gutierrez. Hi, Mary Carmen. Hi, Pierce. How are you? We have uh, David Lima Verdi. I hope we got that right, David. Yes, Hi. that's right. <laughs> um, and we also have Ivana. I don't have your surname, Ivana, because we're on Zoom, people, so <laughs> first names only.
0: <laughs> Hi, it's Ivana Philip. Nice Hi.
1: to meet you. Hi, Ivana. Um, Hi. We're going to talk about uh, public spaces and we're going to talk about your project Unfold the new abnormal, um, I know it's, it was more complicated. Could you explain your project a little bit, Ivana?
0: Hi, well, I would like to first um, introduce uh, David as our curator and uh, ask him, yes, to, to explain a little bit um, what Fontis is and how we came to this uh, publication.
2: Yeah, sure Ivana. I, Yeah, I think it's good to con- contextualize um, okay. for the audience what this is. Um, so, um, as you said, uh, Pierce, uh, Marie Carmen and Ivana were part of uh, the group of the students of 2019-2020 uh, of uh, Fontys. The masters there that they did was, is called Performing Public Space, which are open for uh, multidisciplinary artists to explore uh, public space and artistic research as well. So, uh, throughout the summer, last summer, we were able to create um, uh, a publication, which is not uh, institutional, but it was created out of our own wills and agencies. Um, And it's called uh, PS Unfold the New Abnormal which uh, uh, it, came, it, it came into existence, basically because of the pandemic and the social distancing. And also the unofficial story, it came into existence also because all of the students, they had experiments in public space and they needed to be there in public space in order to, um, uh, to go through with, uh, their course and uh, they panicked, um, thinking that because of the pandemic there was no public space, there was an apocalypse and um, Armageddon, Um, so this publication is a response uh, to this, that there is a public space that we can explore of course with our limitations, Um, and also I think it's a way to um, to document in history after this moment, artistically, of course.
1: Uh, Sorry, Uh, I'm just uh, unmuting myself. So, um, could you tell us a little bit about the public spaces that would have been part of the project before the pandemic and how the new reactions to public spaces manifested itself?
2: Yeah, well, um, we're going to be having uh, Ivana and uh, Marie Carmen to talk about their own um, researches, which, in the publication, it's translated as their scores. So, um, very uh, uh, direct uh, steps that one can follow in public space. The person who is performing these scores, which is you, yeah, the listener here. Um, uh, anyone on the streets, the person who is uh, performing the score, tastes, experiences uh, a little bit of their research as mm-hmm. they are doing. I think this is ca- this is be more uh, uh, clearer once uh, they uh, uh, talk about their uh, scores. And actually, I think they are gonna be um, telling their scores. Is it right, Ivana? And and Mari? Mary Kaman. Yeah, Kerman.
3: yeah. Well,
2: yeah.
3: And I, I'm not can sure can if, we are, if we're telling the scores or, or talking oh. about them, but we can also tell them, yeah.
2: Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. The thing is that the publication, it is a collection of scores, of 10 scores. Um, and now it, we have uh, two uh, uh, researchers, artists here. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can talk about your scores, so it will be a little bit more uh, clear to the audience. Yeah, sure. Mary, Mary Carmen, sure. tell us, tell
1: us about yours.
3: Okay. Uh, hi, and thanks for having us tonight, this afternoon. Um, so my research, I'm sorry, I have something opened here. Uh my research project is called Mi Cuerpo, Mi Territorio, a dialogue on women's bodily and territorial narratives. And basically what I, I tried to do during my research time was to um, in, explore performative tools with women who, like me, grew up in colonial contexts and who were uh, in the Netherlands or who would meet me in the Netherlands, we, uh, I invited them to explore some performative tools in non-urban public spaces, um, especially focused in um, sensorially explore the elements of the space in order to trigger memories that we connect to our territorial or bodily narratives or, or yeah, experiences. And um, this was conceptually uh, based or this started from um, taking a look into how Latin American communities, indigenous communities, uh, consider territory as um, a complex a, a very specific and complex ways, way to relate with the elements of the space uh, where we live, um, as if they were beings uh, with which we relate in a horizontal way. And in the other hand, uh, I took the influence from the community feminists from um, Latin America, who um, think the struggles on women of uh, women on their bodies and the struggles of the uh, of, and the environmental and territorial struggles in Latin America in a similar way? So, with uh, communitarian feminists in Latin America, consider women bodies and territories to be suffering similar oppressions uh, caused by the patriarchal colonial capitalist system and the uh, score that i propose in this publication um, is not only directed to women who like me grew up in a colonial context but to any woman or whoever considers herself a woman uh who wants to uh, experience a little bit of what i explored during my my research project with these women that i met so uh, the score is asking any any woman to ask another woman to join her into an encounter a personal intimate encounter in a non-urban public space which can be a forest or a beach or a huge park, anywhere uh, where they both feel disconnected enough from the urban context. So they can um, exchange a couple of, um, um, how you say, they they, they do a specific uh, tasks, couple of tasks that had to do with exploring their bodies and exploring the space in a sensorial way and sharing the memories that this uh, sensorial exploration triggers regarding their body experience and their territorial experiences, however they consider them.
1: So, so if I may, it's very important, is it, that this is a non-urban public space? Yes. Usually, in the context of artistic endeavour, public space means somewhere in the middle of the city, because the city is so private. But for you, it's very important that this happens in a non-urban space.
3: Yeah, it was very important for me uh, doing the research in Tilburg in the Netherlands uh, when I just arrived from Peru um, to disconnect. To, I, it, I I could not uh, explore and feel comfortable in an urban public space over there because it was so different to the con- context where I come from. I used to do perform political performances in public spaces in Peru, uh, where we can, uh, yeah, we, we intervene public space in a complete different way. In the Netherlands, I felt also as an immigrant who have a restrict restriction <laughs> with the, the legal permits permit stay. You know, I didn't feel comfortable to go and do crazy stuff with my body <laughs> as a brown woman. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't even speak f- so fluent English. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I said, okay, where can I go? I'm talking about territory and what, it, what feels more comfortable to me is to move to the countryside. And, and yeah, that would uh, also give me a sense of belonging in, in a spatial way because so- it's what feels more familiar to me.
1: So normally, what would have happened is that you would have worked with real people in real spaces to to work on this. But because of the pandemic, you had everything was entirely conceptual. Uh,
3: no, it actually my project actually uh, didn't change much about uh, uh, because of the pandemic because I was already researching in non-urban public spaces. And I was already having these intimate encounters with uh, like one-to-one encounters with women. What, uh, what changed was that I had to take, um, to assume, for instance, the physical distance that was needed in order for us to be safe. Um,
1: and of course, the, the obvious question now is, in the time of social distancing, was it easy to achieve that intimacy?
3: Uh, Yes (laughs) it was. I think it was also partly because we were in the Netherlands where the restrictions weren't so or at -hmm. least we we didn't feel them as hard as in other places as it's taken in Peru for instance now and and also in in Germany where I am at the moment. Uh, In uh, in that time in the Netherlands things were quite relaxed but still, I felt responsible to uh, tell these people who were joining me in, in, in the research to to uh, yeah, take care and take enough distance. Uh, but I think, um, of course, we had a lockdown season of like hard of three or four months in the Netherlands. And uh, I think that impacted people in an important way. and. Uh, I think in, in that sense having or these kind of uh, encounters uh, became to me and also to the people who collaborated with me became more important like, to have this kind of human encounter one-to-one <laughs> because yeah. personally I was working in front of the computer all the time Every, everything became online I think it happened to most of the That's people right. there
1: yeah no, I can see that to achieve an intimate experience with someone you don't know already today is a very difficult thing to achieve. Yeah. Ivana, Ivana, can you tell us about your research?
0: Yes. Well, my research uh, was the continuation of my uh, interest in the field of anthrozoology or um, human-non-human animal relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, the title was a Non-Human Animal Agency and uh, Relationship Between Humans and Pre-Roaming Cats in Croatia, where I'm based and, at the moment. So um, it was interesting because I moved from the Netherlands to Croatia maybe two or three years ago. And uh, especially here in the South, they don't have a shelter for cats so there are many free roaming cats, you know, and I don't say that um, is the best uh, life to live in the shelter, but obviously these, some of these cats were sick and they didn't get necessary help or sometimes food. So I started getting interested in that and connecting, uh, connected with different um, people, feeding and taking care of cats and different people. Um, um associations and when the research came yes um, i i had imagined that uh, i could change of course the situation you know you obviously go for um for a result but nothing can be changed in a short time or at least as we plan so i tried to uh, through the research to connect more with the local community and uh, with different colleagues working in the similar sub with similar subjects um, friends and uh, try to find out how these free roaming cats build up also community so um obviously uh, distance wasn't a problem for uh free roaming cats and me during the pandemic and as the time passed, we got to know each other um, more, especially because I worked only with one small community of three roaming cats, of eight um, cats. And I use different mediums like uh, um, writing and video documentation, you know, to, to build up the body of artistic work.
1: And so, um, and so from, your, um, from your project, your research, what do we see in the publication that, that's been released?
0: So in publication, uh, I wrote a score uh, that uh, brings closer relationship uh, with first pre-roaming cats because I worked with them. But mm-hmm. I pushed it further because some people, well, we have different relationships with different non-human animals or non-humans. Mm. So. It's a chance to try it and, let's say, uh, create or test the relationship and communication with a uh, free roaming cat or a plant or a stone. I, I called it that way. Um, and it's a score to bring more awareness. It's not just to try to some, you know, uh, crazy uh, talk, mm-hmm. but... Indeed, to become aware of the surrounding and of the other beings we share um, this Earth with.
1: And just to be clear, you, when you're talking about free-roaming cats, you, you're not talking about an apex predator. You're talking about domestic cats which have uh, become wild or, or mm-hmm. wild cats which have always been strayed.
0: Yes, uh, yes, exactly. There are cats that were um, stray, stray cats. Uh, and then some cats have never had contact with humans. Some of them were born um, and had contact with humans, but uh, went or were left outside. So anyhow, mm-hmm. cats living outside, um, domestic cats living yeah, outside.
1: And of course, people often think that Cats have less of a relationship with humans than, say, dogs. I mean, the relationship between you and your dog is very, very obvious. Uh, when mm-hmm. you look closely at the relationships between, the, of the interactions, uh, what did you find?
0: Well, sometimes uh, I would set up video camera and uh, record uh, cats. And obviously, people would stop. Start- you know, local uh, residents uh, would stop and ask me, "Oh, what are you doing?" They would get interested in what I was doing. So, camera was acting as an agency, but obviously, cats were the agents. You know, because through them, and I'm say I were explaining what I was doing, they immediately went into their uh, personal stories and um, histories of their relationship with. Uh, cats, dogs, or different other uh, non-human animals. Uh, so it was interesting that sometimes people would say that they don't necessarily love cats, as we would say, but as soon as we were talking about cats, they would open up and uh, bring some some of their personal stories. So it was interesting, you know. I like this moment of. Um, serendipity or aha moments how I call them, when I, I'm not going direct for um, for a result but there is, through cats different personal stories get revealed
1: That is fantastic, so David, how um, you're bringing these very disparate these very different I well, in some ways they are similar, but also they have you know, diff- great differences in terms of Uh, Who they're dealing with. How do you bring all this together as a curator?
2: Yeah, this uh, This is the thing. I think what um, uh, the line that uh, uh, kind of purpose all of these researches is basically um, the strategy to relive public space and to resist public space and um, and to insist in public space. Um, of course, they, the, the students, they had the freedom uh, to uh, translate their, uh, uh, their researches to this course, but I suggested uh, everyone to uh, make, it, um, make it feasible for the pedestrian to uh, open up the map and follow the the scores, so it wouldn't be too conceptual, but it could be uh, uh, practical and and sensorial as well. So uh, uh, sensoriality was one of the of my concerns when I thought about uh, uh, gathering all of the scores and and the, the researchers uh, together. Um, so, Piers, uh, you don't have the, the publication with you. There, right?
1: Uh, I I don't have the publication. No.
2: Okay, so I'm gonna. Um, I, am
1: yeah, I am on your website. I am on your website. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: can I? Uh, maybe you can mention the website. And, yeah. But I can um, also uh, describe the publication to you and how you go from the cover to the actual uh, score. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. I uh, yeah. The, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you should be looking at www.performingpublic dot space, and on the home page you will see I can see Ivana's and uh, uh, I can see both your um, projects on the on the page.
2: Good, thanks. So um, you have the physical publication with you. Mm. Let's just imagine, and then there is uh, in, uh, the cover. There's a name. P.S. Unfold uh, the new abnormal. And then we play with the word abnormal mm-hmm. because everyone's saying, oh, uh, this is the new normal. But uh, was there a normal uh, like whatsoever? So it, uh, we, we uh, start from the fact that uh, there was an abdo- abnormal and this is the new abnormal. Um, so you unfold the map because the publication is in a format of a cartographical map yeah, and I... um, on, on the second page there is my small uh, score mm-hmm. which I'd, lo- I'd like to read. Go on. um, 1 Breathe deeply and strengthen your spine 2 Unfold your map 4 the order of things are not important. Three, you can always go back. Five, explore the new abnormal. And then you open the map and then you can find a cartographical framework of uh, our students' researches. And each one of them they have their own score. Of, of course, their scores are more uh, elaborated and sophisticated than mine, here as a creator. Um, and maybe, I don't know, um, are we gonna read any of the scores inside of the publication? Ivana?
0: Um, I don't have mine with me.
2: Oh. So, so maybe uh, Harry could you uh, step in and read one of our, of our scores? Because, as I described from uh, the cover to the actual map, it's nice for the listener to, you know, to have a taste of.
4: Do you want me to? Re- I can read. I can read the one that I wrote, if, if you want.
2: Oh, that's very nice.
1: Yeah, just uh, people out there. Um, this is Harry Ross, who is one of the group that is involved in the Port of Elevine and the Port of Elevine Pavilion, who's also written in one of the scores, which is called, it's quite i uh, I'm pleased to say it starts, I am sorry. Anyway, Harry, over to you. <laughs>
4: um, so all of the scores, um, I thought maybe since uh, I'm, I'm the... we should plug where you can get, pick up one of these Yes. later. Um, so all of the scores have a little introduction about the theoretical framework that we were all working to. Everyone was working to a diverse framework and they've all been placed on the page in similar, similar ways. So in fact, my score is, is, has a similarity, has an intersection with Mari Carmen's because I left uh, public space, but for a very different reason, because public space is something, well, I'll just read the score. It will be more, more, will be more um, evidence then. Okay. So <clears throat> I see public space as the rarefied expression of colonialism, even the theoretical definition of the public sphere and the production of space are both masculine and colonial. White men design colonial structures of intolerance into urban public space. I am a white male I call for my own removal from public space and the removal of others who have put on the white mask I call for effort and the effort of a meaningful apology of quietly paying attention and acting when invited please don't follow the arrows don't stay on the edge go further than you thought possible. And then, in very small writing, it says How to be sorry and make a post colonial apology without screaming how important you think you are. This is a score to be performed by white males or members of the neoliberal elite. If you buy clothing from a fast fashion chain store before your current clothing needs repair, or commission someone to repair your extensive wardrobe so that you can show your peers how your lifestyle is leading edge and sustainable, that means you. If you get shit you don't need delivered during the pandemic, that means you. If you think that retail is therapy, that means you. If you believe quietly in the trickle down, that means you. If you are all inclusive in your contradictions, if you feel you are the savior of the world, if your actions and inertia other most of the other world's inhabitants, that means you. Leave your phone at home. Go away. Go away. No further away. Go away. Nope, not far enough. It's hard. I know. Look, just leave public space. Stop lurking on the edge. Nobody wants to hear from you. Yes, that's right. Start walking further 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 Do your feet hurt yet? No? Stop lurking on the edge. Nobody wants to hear from you. Yes, that's right. Start walking. Further, 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 further. Do your feet hurt? Yes? Good. Now go further. Further. Stay here. Be quiet. Do what you're asked. Pay attention. Don't talk. Grow. Stay here. Be quiet. Do what you're asked. Pay attention. Don't talk. Grow. And it carries on in a circle. Uh,
1: uh, one thing I noticed from that, Harry, apart from it being very angry, um,
4: as you is, know I am,
1: <laughs> is that uh, Ivana and Mary Carmen have. Talked about public space in terms of reacting or interacting, within one case, strangers or, or other women, and another case, people and their interactions with cat. Yours seems a solitary interaction with the public space.
4: That's yeah, that's true. Um, and if every white middle-aged male left public space, can you imagine how much better public space
1: might become? Well. Yes, I mean, you know, if we go back to, I mean, I was a little bit taken aback that we were talking public space in a non-urban environment, as a very urban person, the urban environment is what I, I think of, and you're right, whether you think of the original marketplace in the Greek cities, and I'm sure they existed in the cities before that, yeah, or whether you think of Trafalgar Square, where... I think the uh, lodestone for um, Trafalgar Square, for Nelson's Column, was put down 400 years ago, yesterday. Um, You're right, the public space has been dominated as a place really for men to meet meet each other, discuss business, buy things from each other. It very much grew out of the agora. And what you're saying is that we still have not let anyone in to that public space. We've kept it for ourselves.
4: I mean, yeah, even in um, even in a lot of public space theory, even in a lot of situationism, if you think about the flaneur, it's really easy for um, a white male to be a flaneur. I can walk where I want in the urban environment. Nowhere is banned for me um, because about 110 pound uh kilos i'm strong i do you know what i mean it's like and there are so many dark corners dark places um it's not hospitable it's not a friendly place um and also even the certainly in western europe um and the west the very stones that we look at are stolen our economic development is based on theft and greed um every single time you see a you know, Victorian house, that's, that's someone else's labour has, has been stolen. Every time you see a hospital, it's been stolen from India. Um, everything that we see is theft.
1: Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, um, at the moment, uh, well, 10 years ago, we had Tahir Square, um, where there was very much um, a takeover of the public space by women, and it involved a lot of violence against women as a result. More recently, we've seen the same thing in Belarus. Um, and I suppose you could say that uh, pussy riot attempted to take over a lot of public space, whether it was cathedrals or, or squares. Um, we, we males, and I'm sure uh, I can't speak for black males, but white males, we've done a quite good job in excluding everyone else from our public space. I'm wondering if, whether, Mary Carmen, that is one of the reasons, I think you said it was, that for you, you had to take the public space away from the city. You have to unmute.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a... I come from a special context, because I'm also a feminist activist in Peru, and... um, I'm not really familiar with the specific uh, events in Europe, but um, the thing is that within the feminist movements in Peru, um, we have a very urgent um, demand on women's sexual and reproductive rights. Um, And we take a lot of uh, actions that are often performative actions and we do this in public space, because uh, we do this in public space, and these actions uh, often involve the use of our bodies to create the um, uh, political uh, symbolic um, content of, of of the message we are we are creating, and um, it, it, it is a complete different context over there of course it happens that public space is not a safe space for women um women are massively murdered uh, raped and and uh yeah victims are of of all kinds of violence in public space but we find it uh empowering and um symbolic to use this Public space uh, to demand this situation to change, and but that's uh, one of the reasons why I remove why here in, in Europe I I moved to the to the countryside because not because I think that public space is completely safe for women, but because I was in a very particular context in which I didn't really, uh, which I didn't really understand. I didn't really know how it worked. It was completely. Um, unfamiliar to me. And I, you know, coming from that context in which I go to the public space in, in Peru with uh, my feminist comrades to organize all kinds of demonstrations and being in Tilburg's train station, for instance, where people are walking in similar directions, almost not looking at at each other, where there are security Comes everywhere, and I just didn't feel comfortable. And I tried. I moved to this to this other kind of public space to try to, yeah, to reconnect with uh, with what I find familiar, and also because it was a a project that involved me in a very personal way. I was also sharing my own narratives related to my body experiences, my territory experiences, and I needed to feel calm, and I, I felt like I needed to invite other women also to a calm and familiar place uh, as much as possible for them. don't know if this answers your question.
1: Oh, so, sorry, just on that last uh, answer, you tried to take women to somewhere that was familiar. That. Yes. So, because my next question following up was going to be, I wonder, this is to all of you, um, what is the difference between non-urban public space and urban public space? Again, as someone who comes from the urban environment, to me, you know, a forest or a beach kind of belongs to someone else. It belongs to, um, you know, the people who live there. Where to me, an urban public space, it's very clear that it's to all the urbanites.
3: Yeah, well, that's that's really interesting. And I was uh, struggling with this definition within my research a lot uh, because public space is a Western definition. Uh, It's a European concept. And uh, the way I understand and it's in it, I think, in the beginning referred mainly to urban spaces. And uh, I come from a different context in which I, I grew up in the high jungle of of Cusco in Peru and um, for me public space is not only the urban space which is the smaller part of the space where the community is uh, de- developing um, but public spaces are waterfalls rivers uh, mountains and uh, that this was my way to uh, yeah, to adapt, I guess, my my research to a public space that I would, where I would feel uh, familiar, where I would yeah. feel that I had some kind of agency. No, you, I mean,
1: yeah. you have...
3: I, also as an immigrant, in, and as a student, as a non-European, uh, as a Peruvian woman living there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, th- this was. Uh, I think it is an interesting topic that needs to be uh, uh, discussed further, and also the, all, the, all the reflections regarding public space that are um, that are um, being discussed in the European Academy that not always fit other contexts or contextual yeah, realities, like. The ones in, in Latin America, in in the jungle or in the Andes.
1: no because um, I don't know, for instance, a friend of mine is—he's very much part of the ayahuasca scene and spent a lot of time in the middle of the Amazon with mm. uh, I can't remember which is tribe. But even in that context, the public space is kind of a part of the village that everyone meets in. So what's interesting to me in this context is that you are talking public space as being not so much a space that is made for the public but a space where any of the public can go
3: yeah and that's i guess related to territory which is a main notion in my research i see the the yeah the space seen as or the common space seen as territory not only as a private property or collective property but also as um a space or 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 as other yeah as a space with which we have uh also spiritual connections.
1: I'm, I'm, oh, sorry. sorry. Uh, I was just gonna ask Ivana uh in this case what um does does territory does ownership Um, Does that matter at all in your work with the cats? Yes. I mean, cats are famous for having territory.
0: Exactly. And uh, following um, Mari's um, um, explanation, description of her uh, research, we have, of course, uh, some um, common moments or elements because I also deal with the notion of territory. And uh, but notion, I I try to contextualize it in relation to non-humans. So exactly as you said, cats are very territorial, and these these cats live in uh, in a certain territory in this part of the city, and they rarely accept new cats in their community. But what was interesting, because for me these cats occupied the space. Um, and they decided to live there in some way but people dominate that space and they find that space um, their space so it's a kind of a space close to the um, to the uh, buildings uh, bushes you know where they can hide and obviously people complain uh, to other people who feed cats and they say you know that they are making a mess and similar so they dominate and they uh, want to monopolize it so this is obviously um, something that's happening not just towards humans but also towards animals or non-human animals and i wanted to find a way how to bring this space, um, this space where cats live and people meet cats as sort of a public space. So it's an urban space, but it's very important that um, it's a meeting space, so where humans and cats meet. So it can also be some other space um, or place, non-urban, but obviously, obviously they, they chose this one, because of the proximity to to food and different resources. It,
1: um, I may be trying to read too much into this, but can we see um, a parallel between the cats moving into this advantageous town and perhaps the way that the invisible people who come, undocumented people who arrive in cities, come and have to occupy semi public spaces did you did you consider that at all or am i
0: yes yes i during my research i also found um about the case in in uk i'm not sure in london which square it was but during the um, kind of um they wanted to rebuild the square and they wanted to remove pigeons from the square because um Obviously, that they thought that uh, the pigeons wouldn't belong to this clean space where only, you know, uh, um, modern uh, young people who drink coffee and walk could meet, or business people. So um, there, there I encountered a term uh, of purification. So it's happening everywhere that we want to purify. We or those who decide to purify the space from those people we don't find attractive, or we find them less, um, agreeable. less un- agreeable, you know, or people who are maybe homeless, and uh, we want to um, erase them from our public eyes. So exactly, there is um, you noticed very well.
1: Well, that that is a brilliant uh, link to Harry, because, of course, Harry, talking about territory and ownership of public spaces, you are trying to exclude those of us who've owned the public spaces for 2,500 years. Uh, You are looking, rather than losing the pigeons or losing the homeless people, you think it's time to lose the white men in kilts standing next to statues of old slavers. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That's a, a, a reference to Harry wearing the kilt in the picture. Of, on the, I'll say it again. Um, performing public dot space uh, website. Um, you haven't got long, Harry, to answer that one. Sorry, I took <laughs> time. Um,
4: yeah. Uh, I mean, but also, I, I suppose that there there is space in here for nuance as well.
1: Um, mm-hmm. We hope so, still. Um,
4: uh, Not
1: for much longer. (laughs)
4: Not much longer. Uh, And uh, but but at the moment we we cling on to to nuances. But but yes, it is a it's it's a provocation to ask um, ask white men of power just to give way. And at the time time when they're really not giving way as well, they're becoming hyper masculine and hyper aggressive, um, which is always a sign of weakness.
1: Of course. So, David, um, we've now heard three really interesting little stories there, or big stories, I should say, taking different views on public space. I mean, Mary Carmen has already made me think in a different way about what public space is. Ivana's made me think in different ways about who public space is for. You know, you think it's for people, but pigeons and cats, of course, go and go to the Coliseum, and Harry, of course, has started a project to remove him and I, and possibly yourself, from public space. I mean, how do you bring all these things together? How do you make them at least coherent enough to engage people?
2: Um, Piers, I think public space is not supposed to be coherent. Um, I think that we all um, understand that uh, there is always contradictions in um, uh, what we call public space. Um, you know, Mari uh, stated very, very nicely that public space is in itself uh, a European concept. And we have to understand uh, this concept uh, through dualities, uh, through dichotomies. Like, for example, what you started asking about the rural and the urban. And I think it's a, such an interesting uh, uh, topic that ho- hopefully we'll have another talk about that. But uh, it's interesting because we can only understand in uh, in terms of the um, European uh, um, uh, social imaginary, we only understand urban in opposition with the uh, with rural and rural in opposition with urban. So the dichotomy, it's uh, pretty evident. There's another dichotomy, to, which is the public and the private. That um, it, it's also evident. Um, and well, I, I, I can say, I come from Brazil. Um, I can say that our, our boundaries between public and private are, are very blurred that the same thing as uh, the boundaries between urban and rural are very blurred. Um, and where's, yeah, where's the public space there? Uh, so I think, I think uh, what I can see, if there's a coherence, I can see that it is a place of conflicts, meetings, but mostly contradictions, yeah. For, can I can I just mention uh, Harry's uh, example as well? Um, his uh, uh, his uh, attempt to offer other uh, uh, white men, cis white men, to uh, to be quiet, to be invisible, and then to go to uh, to the rural area, to the non-urban, to the other side of the dichotomy. Um, The contradiction is that if a white man goes there and follows this path, they're going to be safe in the forest, in the park, you know? So we're going to find contradictions in all of our concepts and experimentations of public space because life is full full of contradictions. And um, occupying public space and at the same time distancing ourselves socially it is also a contradiction and our work was to target a little bit of that and offer the um, the readers to experience a little bit of our contradictions I would say
1: fantastic
2: so if I might just very
1: quickly ask you all a question I mean public space is constantly being redefined. In some ways it never changes, you know, perhaps it's always a place where men go to do business and to do politics, but in other ways it's constantly changing who owns it, who controls it, who's allowed into it. Uh, We have more change with the pandemic, you know, can can you still put so many people in a public space? May I ask all of you what you see very briefly, the future of public space? Can I start with you Ivana?
0: Yes. Well, um, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I see it shrinking, you know. Uh, we see as we keep... It's again uh, uh, another um, conflict, you know, between shrinking and expanding. As we stay in the public space, we have to keep distance between each other but that means that less people can occupy the space or it th- can share the space so basically the space becomes um um uh, less uh, smaller for yeah. less people and i hope um we can with this project provoke people to think about that you know it's not it's not just now that it's happening. It's just now that suddenly we are, um, you know, afraid. Or I also come from Croatia. And, um, you know, this is happening all around the world. Problems exist all the time, not just now, during the pandemic. And this is something we have to contextualize also. Um, so, yes, I hope I hope we can... Um, bring this awareness to the public space and how um, we can share it and expand it.
1: Thank you. H- Harry, Thank I mean, you. You, you obviously are very interested in who owns the territory in public spaces. What do you see in the future? Um. Will we walk into the darkest reaches of the forest?
4: Um, I don't think I don't think we. I'd like to think that we would, but I don't think we will. Um, the certainly their arrogance and spite of uh, the, the white male is, is is at fever pitch in the United Kingdom. Um, well, in England, amongst
1: other countries,
4: <laughs> and oh uh, yes, and, yeah. and, and other countries, but certainly um, English exceptionalism is, uh, is is alive and kicking. Um,
1: and of course the the for um, Pavilion in power square is is an attempt to reclaim the public spaces as neutral at the very least it, it is
4: it is it, it is that, and that's why we also have these as one one of our our, our collective rom Best um, has these in his show, and the Dutch embassy has very kindly made them available. There are about a hundred that should be delivered tomorrow and people can pick them up over the week. And they're also in Kensington's public libraries, which still exist, which is good. Yeah. So maybe this will help people think about how to be kinder in public space and maybe remove themselves and make more space for other people. And then this ripple of love will go through from Portobello all through London
1: so uh, thank you harry mary carmen um it it sounds like people may be leaving the urban public spaces and filling your three private almost I, was, I said the word private public spaces which are more remote what, what do you see for the future of public spaces?
3: well the the first thing i see is that it depends on where where you mean Uh, Europe is completely different than Peru, or India, and even in Europe, Spain, Italy, the UK, probably. Um, So I think it will be, of course, more manageable in rich countries, in places where people don't have to go massively outside. But sadly, in places like Peru, um, I don't think it it will change in any way, like right right now, the government's policy is um going in the direction to kind of reopen everything and go to the new normal but the new normal (laughs) over there means to go back to the massive markets where poor people get their food or middle class people get their foods and most people have a majority of people work in an informal way so they have to go out and find wherever they uh, find money to eat and to sustain their families so i don't think it will change for a lot of people um over there which is the context that i'm familiar with mainly or more concerned about and and uh, i think over here no idea, people are not, don't really need to get so close for uh, what I've seen. So, I think the interactions will eventually, I don't know, normalize. What, what can I know? I don't really know how it will uh, be in the future. I know uh, in, the, in the future, in, as I told you, in places like Peru, everything will be normal and will be, of course, uh, very soon, very, very risky to be outside because you have no option if you want, if you, if you have to take the public transport, you just have to go into a bus full of people. You have to go to get your food, you will go into a market full of people. And even if you want to go to the beach or want to go to the river or wherever, nothing I yeah. think will change unless a small communities get organized, hopefully, uh, yeah, to change, uh, and and keep themselves safe. And I understand that there are some places in Bolivia where people are already, um, and hopefully in other places as well, are already uh, recovering communitarian practices that are also related to grow their own uh, food, and even finding different ways of educating their children.
1: Fantastic, thank you. Um, thank you, Vana. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Mary, Carmen. I mean, uh, it's been a very interesting conversation. I mean, public space, we think of it in... Most of us think of it in one, one way only, and there are obviously a million ways to think of it. I was thinking for a moment about after a big emergency, like we're by Grenfell Tower, or if there's an earthquake, suddenly public space means a place where everyone can go and sleep in the night and they can be given clothes and that could be a very beneficial version david um just tell us very briefly how can we get hold of these works of art either online or in real life and um how's your how's your project what will happen 2021 with the uh, public space project uh, public
2: pub-
1: space projects well your research when you will you is this yeah something that goes every year so there's a 2021 version
2: yeah indeed yeah there is so we have um, a new batch of students in book now uh, on monday we're gonna start um uh for the first time we're gonna meet um you know the staff and the students and they all have uh, different uh, views on on public space from the very beginning, you know, just, just to uh, uh, cite uh, two of them, like one is uh, interested in um, uh, circus elements in public space using um, uh, the structures of uh, public space as discipline for circus. And we have uh, one scenographist, one stage designer who's using um, archaeological tools to study um, uh, Bristols. and uh, this is uh, this is amazing so every year new artists will be expanding the notions of public space um i i am a little bit skeptical on the question of the future <laughs> but um uh, because for me i cannot see my life like in like six months uh, ahead of, of me uh but Maybe, uh, or yeah or even tomorrow yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, but I'm I'm really um, encouraged by um, these artists expanding the notions and showing uh, contradictions, dis- disrupting uh, public space. Um, yeah, so this gives so, me a little bit of hope.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you everyone. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Mary Carmen. Thank you, Ivana. Thank you, David. Thank you, Greg. Of course for keeping us going in the background uh if you want to know more go to www.performingpublic.space if you want to pick up a copy of the publication it will be arriving at ron's gallery that is opposite gales on the Portobello road opposite uh, the Lonsdale road um the podcast will be coming out at the end of this harry i can see you you're gagging say something there
4: Also in Kensington Public Libraries, the Central Library, North Kensington Library, Saved by the Community, and uh, down south in um, Chelsea. There should be two copies in each.
1: Thank you very much, guys. Uh, This has been the final uh, podcast, uh, a collaboration between the Royal Dutch Embassy, sorry, the Embassy of the Netherlands in London, and Portobello Pavilion, Pavilion High, Um, Thank you very much. I hope to talk to you all again soon. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Portobello Talk Radio. Listen every Sunday between 9 a.m. and midday on TuneIn and the website com. Listen live or on Mixcloud.
2: It's so dead.